This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Kim Grinnells with Dogman.com with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. Saturday morning, a lot going on. Washington ends the season. USC lays a turd. Uh, one of the starting offensive linemen decides to come back for six years. One of the quarterbacks is transferring out, has found a home, some recruiting stuff going on, a couple of great walk-ons for University of Washington. Lots to cover on a Saturday morning. So season's over, guys. Kind of sucks. Agreed. It it does. It's it's not I think the way any of us saw or wanted this to end. I mean, you know, some people, some doomsayers couldn't even believe that they even played. So I think they're they're they were people who were expecting not to be able to play a bowl or or a Pac twelve championship or anything like that. But you know, Washington did a really good job early on. They were the one team that didn't have a lot of issues from a COVID standpoint early on for the first, I'd say, probably month of the season. And then, man, these last few weeks just got torched. And, um, you know, and Rob Scheidegger, the, I, I can't remember his official title, but he's on the medical staff for the training staff for them, um, at the University of Washington. And he said, you could do everything right and still have it come in here. And that's what happened. And, one guy got it, brought it in, didn't know he had it, brought it in and um, gave it to a couple other guys. Then it hit one of the offensive linemen, and all the offensive linemen, for the most part, live with each other and to a certain extent. And that's what just completely killed the team was the whole offensive line get coming down with it. So luckily, no, no uh, severe cases from what I've heard, at least. I don't know about you guys, but. Yeah, not the way you want to end the season, and they, you know, and then uh, what was it on on Friday yesterday? They they said that they aren't going to even accept a bowl bid if they get one. So that's that's kind of a downer way to end the season. Well, yeah, and they can't take a bowl bid. I mean, if the bowl if the bowls were pushed out a couple weeks, you know, then it would be possible, but just not. And you know, Chris, this thing just spreads so fast. And when you've got guys living together and that close together at all times, it's just, it's almost like a time bomb waiting to explode. And, you know, some teams got lucky and they never had that happen. And other teams just get decimated like Washington did here lately. Arizona State did beginning of the beginning of the year. And uh, it doesn't discriminate. Yeah, the timing of it was everything. I mean, the timing of it dictated how the, the Pac-12 championship uh, unfolded. It determined obviously Washington's bowl hopes or, you know, what happened since. Um, it was very weird listening to Jimmy Lake talk in very stark terms about how they literally had no offensive linemen. You know, there, there's 20 offensive linemen if you include the scholarship and walk on players and not to have any of them and yet still think that they could have played a game before the beginning of the new year. 
on the one hand, it was like, okay, we don't necessarily have all the information in terms of isolation and all these things. Maybe they could get guys back. But on the other hand, just in, in basic common sense terms, it was like, what, what are you talking about? There, there, there's, just, I mean, it's, it's sure it's good to be hopeful. It's good to be optimistic and have a positive, you know, uh, frame of mind trying to go forward and trying to get that last game played if you can. But holy crap. I mean, I just, you know, I was the whole time I was kind of wondering where are they going to come up with players to be able to play this game? And then we find out last night, apparently, uh, Mario Cristobal said that Oregon played with 53, 54 guys. And so all that means is it's just sheer luck that they were able to get so many players that, that couldn't play in that game yet still had enough offensive linemen, still had enough defensive yeah. linemen, still had their, their starting quarterback. You know, uh, CJ Verdell might have been the only guy that I really noticed that wasn't that playing. That didn't play. Game. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so, I mean, that to me, that just comes down to just dumb luck when it comes down to it. Well, I think part of the problem, you know, where some of the people that we're seeing that are a little bit upset is kind of the wording where Washington decided not to go to a bowl game or decided to opt out of a bowl game. It's not really the whole story. I mean, they can't. I mean, they just can't. You know, they, with the contact tracing, with the amount of positive cases, it's not a decision. There's no decision to be made. The decision was made for them. So it's not like they decided they just can't. And I think, you know, just with those who read the headlines or stop, you know, at the headline, they don't understand. Washington doesn't have enough bodies. They they don't have enough bodies to get cleared to practice next week at all. And if you're not practicing, you, you just can't play. They can't get the guys cleared fast enough. And I think that uh, that's part of the issue where people are not completely understanding what the deal is, Chris. Well, the, the most disappointing thing is, guys, at least in my opinion, is how well they were able to handle the virus and keep it outside of their bubble until all of a sudden right around the Utah game or so and then going into Stanford, it just blew up. I mean, it. this will tell you how quickly this can spread. I mean, it's, it's like very, a hand grenade. It was like it's a hand very grenade. infectious. You know, again, Scott mentioned Rob Scheidegger, the, the head trainer. You know, he talked about it. You know, you can do everything right. You can, you can isolate. You can wash your hands. You can socially distance. You can wear a mask at all times. You can do all these things. But yet, you know, at some point you got to take your mask off to eat something. You know, at some point you're going to have to talk and or you're going to have to do something. And you just never know. You absolutely never know when this stuff is going to hit. And, and that's the, the, the scary part because if all of this stuff had happened to Washington in September or October, and they were able to overcome it and then able to play all their games like Oregon was, for instance. Because we can go back to that quote that Jimmy Lake said at the very beginning, and he was absolutely spot on when he said this. The team that handles this pandemic and handles the adversity the best is going to be the one that comes out on top. And he's, and Oregon did. Oregon did all those things. They played all their games. They were able to, to get themselves in line to play in the Pac-12 championship game. Yep. Deserves got nothing to do with it. They were, they were available. They were the next in line. They went in. They took advantage of their opportunity and they won the game. They're the Pac-12 champs. That's got, how it works. It's got a lot of people just don't realize these guys deal with more than just the players. I mean, there's coaches, their staffs, coaches go home to their wives, players, you know, some live with their girlfriends. There's food service workers. There's the training staff. There's probably I mean, they're not just dealing with the players. There's probably 10 other people for every player out there that they deal with. Yeah. And, and if that person brought it to them and I mean, that's essentially from what I've been told, that's how it got in there was it came in 
from somebody who whose uh, partner had, um, uh, you know, had had the the virus. Sorry about that. I'm getting completely tongue tied there. Um, and um, and then it spread throughout the, the the team. And you know, it 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 is what it is. There's just nothing you can. I mean, we can hash it over a, a hundred times, and we can come up with different theories about how it could have. You know, how some of those other schools were able to do it. Um, it's like I I truly believe it's what Chris said. It's dumb luck. I mean, considering that I haven't had it, but I've been one of the – for my family, I've been the one who's been going out to the supermarket. I've been the one running errands. I've been the one doing all these different things, partly because my wife um, was dealing with the kids, and she didn't want to have to – you know, she didn't want to give it to them. She didn't want to um, give it to one of them, have them be asymptomatic, and then go to their you know, daycare or, or their uh, preschool and give it to kids and you know she didn't want to do all that stuff so I said well I'll do all that stuff and I haven't gotten it she hasn't gotten it none of us have gotten it in our family none of us in our neighborhood we've kind of been quarantining together up here but I I still believe it's for the most part like you said Chris you know you can do everything that you want it's just kind of the luck of the draw at that point and um thankfully we haven't had to deal with it but uh you know if you do you yeah Hope, hope for the best. Just try and stay as healthy as you can be and do what you need to do. Season's over. I mean, yep. that's, that's bottom line. So we won't see football again till I'm guessing that they may delay it until May, but hopefully this thing is, you know, uh, run its course a lot more. And by April and May, we have a good idea of spring football starting up sometime. And I'll talk to Jen Cohen and talk to the people up at University of Washington to see if they're going to have any plans to maybe do things a little bit different in the spring and possibly have a few more scrimmages and maybe bring in an outside team for a scrimmage or something else. So we'll see if I any think of, that would be really cool, by the yeah, way. Yeah, we'll I think see. that would be really cool. Yeah, just have a, you know, instead of a spring game, have a spring scrimmage and bring Washington, bring Wazoo over or bring Oregon over or do something. So we'll see if any of that's on the table for the upcoming spring, but Scott, last night's game, uh, I don't know about you, that was just hard for me to watch. I mean, you know, when you turn into turn on USC, you expect to see power, you expect to see speed, and that just wasn't USC football. And like I said on Twitter last night, they seem to have lost their way. I don't know what the hell that was last night, and that's what well, we've been seeing the past couple it, of years. It seemed like they were sleepwalking in the first quarter. I hate to use that cliche because we see it on our boards if the Huskies come out slow and don't play very well early on. Well, they weren't prepared. They weren't. The coaches did a terrible job getting I don't know if it's that. I mean, I they just didn't look like they were – they were interested in even being there. I mean, it, it, at the beginning and it, you know what? I don't even want to say it was that. I think Oregon just came out a lot more fired up than USC and they were locking their guys down. They, you know, Keaton Slovis looked terrible. I mean, what was it? Three of his first like six passes or, or two of his first six passes were intercepted. I mean, he just, he look he just looked absolutely confused at what Oregon was doing and and uh um Helfrich, Mark Helfrich, the old Oregon coach, was doing the color commentary last night and he was showing how um USC would would or I'm sorry, Oregon's defense would show him show Slovis one thing and then they'd go like they'd do a single high safety and then they'd rotate into a too high safety, which completely changes the reads that Keaton Slovis had to go through. 
and he wasn't able to process in time and and um USC's offensive line just looks horrible. I mean, it's that is the worst offensive line I've seen in a while. Not to take anything away from what Oregon's defensive line was able to do because they were able to get after Slovis and they've got some talented guys up there. But man, US it was like a sieve. I mean, Slovis was always he was on the ground, he was getting hit, he was getting flushed on every time he dropped back. And when you drop back, I don't know what the final stats were, but 50 times a game, which is what they roughly do in that offense, that is ridiculous. And then they rush for 30-some-odd yards. Pathetic. That, that yeah, is not, like you said, Kim, not USC football. And, Chris, I thought they just looked slow. I thought they looked stiff, you know, and uh, Keaton Slovis was under fire. But even when he wasn't under fire, he looked like he had no clue where to throw the ball, and he held it forever. And the thing that stuck out to me I mean, on third and one, I mean, they just looked just how slow those handoffs were and how mechanical they were. There was no flow to anything. And I'm, that's not the USC football. I mean, if I'm a USC alum, I'm just shaking my head. And I mean, that's like having Shaq run, you know, run the fast break or, you know, having showtime, you know, the Lakers just running slow down. I mean, like I said, what the hell was that? Yeah, I mean, obviously we all grew up with student body left and all that, and that's great. And, you know, you talk about the Heisman Trophy winners that have come out of SC, running backs and all that. Um, clearly that's not the way they think the offense should be run nowadays. And, and, and I guarantee you that there's going to be thousands of USC fans that are going to vehemently disagree um, with Helton, Clay Helton, in terms of, of how they should be running that offense. Yeah, 38 rushing yards in a Pac-12 championship game for USC. Um yeah, I mean, it kind of speaks for itself. And Oregon's defensive line's horrible. Yeah, it, it, it's horrible just one of those things. Well, even even when you know you were talking about the heydays with Pete Carroll and and Sark and and Helton and 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 all those other guys, um, you know, they were running West Coast style. I mean, they 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 weren't necessarily running three yards in a cloud of dust, but they were certainly mixing it up and they were certainly running an offense that um, that at least allowed a certain amount of you know. Like you didn't necessarily know what they were going to do all the time. And there was, you know, they could run some play action and things like that. Um, yeah. West coast offense for USC feels, um, it, it feels about as reliable as Washington state running the triple option. I mean, it just, you, you just don't expect it. And, and even though they've been doing it for a few years now, they have never really done it in an effective way, in any sort of way. But to me, that that's all an aside. I mean, if you want to argue that USC needs to do something different, that's great. There's ample facts on your side on that. To me, when you talk about being slow, when you talk about them not looking like they really got coached up or, you know, all the penalties and, and everything else that, that they had, I mean, uh, you know, nine penalties for 98 yards, you know, multiple personal fouls, you know, Talanoa Funga, you know, tackling their punter, Oregon's punter. I mean, just things that you would never normally see in a championship game. Um, you know, the two things I would say about it is, first of all, there was nothing about that Pac-12 championship game that's going to turn anybody's heads nationally. USC needed to win that game and they needed to win that game convincing, convincingly to give the Pac, to Pac, to give the Pac-12 any credit at all nationally in terms of even going into the Fiesta Bowl and having a semblance of an idea that the Pac-12 had a team that could compete at the highest levels. Well, that's blown out of the water. Uh, and the second thing is, 
when you have a situation where Oregon's coming off a bye because they didn't get to play Washington, USC is not. And USC is the team that has to really impress in order to do this. You know, you're hamstringing your teams. You're hamstringing your best teams. And the Pac-12 has consistently hamstrung their best teams over and over and over through scheduling. I'm not saying this was necessarily Pac-12's fault on this, but it is, um, it is a good example of the fact that I think it was what three games in 13 days or something like that that they that they had played, and and Oregon had played one. Um, you know the team that should not have been in that game was the freshest, the had the most time to practice, had the time to to be able to game plan, and all the do all those other things. And uh, you know I just I just think that there were so many things that were just dead wrong about all this stuff. Yep. And unfortunately that they had to play the Pac-12 championship game because of money. It's as simple as that. If yep. money was not, if money had not been an issue here, if revenue had not been an issue in this year, they could have just declared co-champions and gone about their separate ways, and everything would have been fine, and it would have had a big asterisk. But it w- it's going to have a big asterisk anyways. Yep. So you might as well at least treat it fairly and deal with it that way instead of all these other things. Where I mean, you got Jimmy Lake having to sit there going, "Well, I'd rather have it declared on the field than in a poll or on a vote or something like that." That's all well and good, but that doesn't really reflect the reality of what was going on out there. And well, I think we're really I think we're going to have an shortened. I think we're going to have an interesting off season because I think the Larry Scott thing is going to come to a head here before you know in the next sixty days. I expect that to you know uh, something to happen before spring football starts and keep an eye on it. I mean, um, by the way, we didn't get included on the email list for the press conference for Larry Scott. Chris, did you notice that? No, I did. Um, I will say this though, but think about this guys. Think about this. This is how the Pac-12 ended up. Your Pac-12 champion is Oregon. Your Pac-12 North champion is Washington. Your Pac-12 South champion is USC. Your highest ranked team is Colorado. What in the world is going on? Well, it's easy to say. I mean, it's just a messed up year, you know, and you could try to figure this out, but. Like this, nothing's going to make sense out of this year. Nothing at all. Nothing makes sense about the virus. Nothing makes sense about what's going on down at the Pac-12 offices. They seem to be winging it. Um, not a lot of leadership there. And that's why I think we're going to see some changes. This just can't go on. And I thought last night was, and that didn't seem like a championship game. I mean, it just seemed like a game. No, I mean, Oregon, a Oregon, game. Oregon had 243 total yards. Yeah. USC had 38. Again, I, I'm fully of the opinion that when it comes out in the autopsy for USC, I think we're going to find out that Keaton Slovis had an arm problem all year long. I just, I don't think he was healthy. His arm did not look right. And I don't think it looked right. I don't think it looked right two games into the season. It didn't look right to me when they were playing at Arizona, for instance. So I, I don't know. I mean, you tell me, I mean, this is, this is off the rails, but I think one thing we can all agree on guys. And I know you commented on Twitter on this, Kim, the Pac-12 is nowhere if USC is nowhere. If USC cannot lead this conference, the rest the rest of the conference can't follow. Oregon can do its best to try to get into the playoff. Washington can do its best to try to get in the playoff. But right now, the North is nine and one in this in this championship game. The North is the one that's been carrying the water for this league for years and years. And that's, and that's just one reason why it's, it's kind of set up to fail. Yep. Because if it's not happening in LA when it comes to the Pac-12, it's not happening. And, and it's super unfortunate that that's the case. 
but traditionally that's where everything starts. It's, it starts and ends in LA and that's USC and UCLA. And at least UCLA started to show a little bit of a pulse, but USC was just skipping through the graveyard all year long. And this was just, this was just the final straw. And this was the, the one game where clearly yep. they showed they couldn't come back. Scott, big news last night. Washington is returning their um, starting center and um, probably most experienced lineman for a six-year. I thought it was huge news last night with Luke Wattenberg. Yeah, absolutely huge news. Now we'll see what happens with Jackson Kirkland. It wouldn't surprise me if Jackson Kirkland wants to stick around but because uh, he's only got four games at left tackle, and I think he needs at least another uh, – I, I mean, and throwing all quote-unquote fandom and all that stuff aside – you have to look at it and say, hey, you know, this guy could really benefit Washington next year, but it could really benefit him as well. So I'm really interested to see what um, Jackson Kirkland ends up doing. But as far as Luke Wattenberg, guy looks like a natural center. I thought he played really, really well. He handled things really well. He made the line calls. Obviously, there were some missed things here and there. But I mean, for the most part, I think he graded out. I, I don't remember. I don't have a membership to PFF, but uh, – I think he graded out pretty darn well in the season. And, um, you know, I, I've been, I was very pleasantly surprised with what I saw from Luke Wattenberg. And I think it's, it only benefits Washington to get him back. Now what's, what'll be interesting, and I'm going to be putting up an article on this probably on either Sunday or Monday, but it's about what's going to happen behind Luke Wattenberg. Let's just assume Luke Wattenberg, he does come back and he is the starter for the team. Is a guy like Mateo Mele going to decide he needs to move on because he wants to play? Is Miles Morale, who thought he was going to be the starting center when he came to the University of Washington as a freshman, going to be interested in leaving as well? I don't know. Um, hey, Scott. Who knows? When, hey, Scott, during warm-ups, the, uh, Miles Morale wasn't even taking reps at center. I mean, he's an interior guy, and... I was kind of surprised. I don't think we've talked about this much, but the guy who uh, seemed to be playing third-team center was uh, Garen Hatchett. Yeah, yeah. Um, that doesn't surprise me that he was getting snaps. It does surprise me that Mural wasn't getting snaps, but you would have seen that more than I did. Yeah. I know that he was being brought in, like groomed to be a center, but um, maybe Scott Huff just says, hey, you're you're a better fit at guard, and that's where we're going to put you. So, um, But, yeah, I mean – is Miles Morale? I, I saw someone on the board post this, and you know, not to ridicule the guy, but I, he said that Miles Morale, he thinks Miles Morale is the starter at one of the guard spots next year because he's vastly better than the two guys that they have starting. And I was like, first of all, how do you know that? Second of all, um, yeah, I, I thought Bainavalu and MJ Ale both played pretty well, so. Yeah, like I said, I think the biggest surprise was uh, seeing Garrett Hatchett over there. But, um, you know, Chris, getting getting Luke Wattenberg back is huge because when you talk about us all starting up front with the offensive line, that center is an incredibly important position, you know, calling out the line calls and everything. And Luke Wattenberg has been around a while, smart guy and uh, real athletic. And I think just that extra year for him. If pro football is indeed his goal, I think this will do, do nothing but help. I'm not sure – it would do as much for Jackson Kirkland. I'm not saying it wouldn't do much for Jackson Kirkland, but I think it's huge for Luke Wattenberg. Yeah, I think you hit on it. That's the, the NFL angle. I think in Luke Wattenberg's world, he wanted to play 12 games, 13 games this year, get that center thing down so he understands it like the back of his hand, and then move on and, and try to be the next center that plays in the NFL from Washington. And 
I think that was the plan. And, and, and clearly now they're just having to back that up a year because he was only to play uh, four games instead of 12. Um, what's interesting to me is that now the, the other name that I would add into that center mix is, uh, Will Pliska. You know, if there, you know, I think he might have been one of the guys to walk on that was right. also working in there. Yes, he was. If, um, if Jackson Kirkland does stay, which again, I, you know, 50-50 and pick him, um, although I think I would lean towards him going pro right now, just with so much uncertainty, uh, the, the guy that I look at at this point, the next would, that would be, would be Henry Bainavalu. And if, and if Henry decides to move on, now all of a sudden you are looking at a legitimate situation where, um, you know, Miles Morrow could slide into that right guard spot. You know, obviously he would have some serious competition. Um, you know, he would have a guy, you know, Hatchet could be a guy that could move in there as well. Um, you could also shoot. I mean, there's, I'm sure there's other guys that could, that could probably fit into that spot as well. Um, you know, guard Memelar, for instance, could be one of those guys. Um, but you know, there are guys behind that, but this is, this is going to be part of the issue that you're going to start to butt up against in terms of numbers. If some of these, you know, fifth year, sixth year guys start coming back, this is going to be the first one. He won't be the last for sure, but I still don't think there's going to be a ton of them. I think this is going to be more of an outlier than, um, than the regular deal. Just because right. I think a lot of those guys do kind of see the writing on the wall. I know Kim, you'll lead into to some of the guys that are leaving, but I think to me that's that's kind of the give and take of this whole deal. Well, the thing of it is, you know, when you take a look at the Washington situation, a guy like Luke Wattenberg coming back, and you know that kind of pushing guys that want to play, pushing them back another year. Washington's not the only school dealing with that. It's the same everywhere, and. Washington had two guys go in the transfer portal this week and wide receiver Jordan Chin, who's a fifth year guy already looking for a sixth year and some playing time somewhere else. But Jacob Sermon, the quarterback out of Bothell High School, entered the transfer portal and boy, it didn't take long for him to find a home, Scott. No, it didn't. And I mean, David, David Sermon even told uh, Mike Varell that this was about finding a place with coaching stability with a quarterback friendly offense and a OC who has a history of developing quarterbacks and playing time. They didn't really care about the the level that they ended up playing at. They wanted those three things and they found it in central Michigan. And if you go over to the central Michigan board on two, four, seven, they're all pretty excited about it. So um, good for him. I've always liked Jacob. Um, I thought he was a good kid. Just didn't, you know, just, didn't turn into the guy that I think a lot of us thought he could be. He's got all the physical tools. I just don't know if he had um, the processing and mental aspect of it down. Maybe he does. He is able to get that with the different, you know, because a lot of Kim, you know, Kim, you always talk about this, and and I, you're right when you say it, is that kids that have success at one school might not have the same success at another school because of the situation it is in. Well. Maybe there's a kind of coach that knows how to get through to Jacob a little bit more, how to get him in the film room a little bit more. Although I didn't hear that he had an issue with being in the film room, but, um, you know, maybe get in the film room more, maybe helps him understand, you know, it's, a, it's like a teacher in a, in a class. Some kids are able to learn from a certain teacher, but other kids are not. And then you flip the switch get a different teacher and the kids who had success before don't because maybe the teacher isn't able to reach them, but the ones who struggle with the other teacher now are succeeding. So maybe that's the situation. Uh, hope he has a lot of success there. Central Michigan always puts up some good numbers. 
uh, would like to see him have some serious success there. Yeah, and some of it might be just getting away from home might be a benefit. Nothing, not disparaging the family in any way, but you know, his dad's, you know, as a professor at University of Washington, he's got a sister who's going to be going to the University of Washington. He's got a ton of family around here. So maybe just sometimes getting into a different situation, new scenery, clear his head and just, you know, focus instead of everything that's going on at home. Just, you know, just starting over again and just resetting the clock sometimes. It's, you know, not a bad thing. So. Great kid. I always like Jacob. You know, he's a big, strong kid. He's 6'5", 230, 240, got a big arm and uh, really, really smart kid. So maybe just starting over and just hitting the reset switch in a new situation can really turn things around for him. And I think everybody that's dealt with him on our staff, as well as all the teammates that he had, wishes him nothing but success because he's a good kid. So, yeah, um, yeah, just, uh, I was going to add something real quick. Um, I think Scott touched on this a little bit, but I think where he's landing is a great spot for him because the head coach at Central Michigan is Jim McElwain. McElwain is obviously a guy, you know, he's, he's from Montana, but he played, he played his college ball at Eastern Washington. He is a quarterback. So there, there are definitely some, some points of contact with Sermon and McElwain that makes sense in terms of him moving forward. You know, he's a guy that can groom. Uh, Jacob, he's a guy that obviously has worked with some real high-profile quarterbacks, and um, as as obviously coached at some very high-profile places like Michigan, you know, Florida, Alabama, you know. So he he's got some experience, and I think this is going to be a great situation for Jacob. I think. A couple of walk-ons committed to the University of Washington. The one that um, just really caught my attention is uh, Milton Hopkins, is a preferred walk-on. I don't know what position they've got him pegged at, but he played quarterback at O'Day. I think he could be a tight end. I think he could be a linebacker. I think he could be a defensive end. He's a big, bright kid, Scott. Kim, that's disappointing. That means you didn't read my story. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Washington is projecting him as an outside linebacker. He's going to come in and play. I just uh, think he's got the versatility that he could play any of those. he, He could play a lot of different positions, but where Washington has him pegged, at least right now, is as an outside linebacker, 6'5", 240 pounds, or 220 pounds, big kid, can run, um, plays quarterback, like you said, at, at O'Day, uh, can, can hurt teams with his leg or his arm. He isn't the greatest passer in the world. He's okay. Um, but then again, when was the last time O'Day really developed a quarterback? So. Well, he started um, over Paulo Banchero. Remember that. Yeah, he did. He did. Pa- Paulo is an, is an elite athlete, like world class athlete, but is he a is he a great quarterback? I, eh, he played knows? quarterback his freshman year, so that I, I know he did. I know yeah. he did. But six nine I mean, quarterback. Yeah, yeah. I whatever. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so um, but yeah, no huge pickup for the University of Washington. They got his teammate earlier in the early. Oh, they got him earlier in the week. Um, his teammate, a linebacker, Styles Siva Tuu, um, or Tuu, sorry. And, uh, he is, he's a nice, nice pickup for them. 6'1, 220 pounds, 215 pounds, can run, really good linebacker. Um, they have several O'Day. They have, they have another one, Ruparaki Fuavai, I think is his last name. Um, he, he walked on at the University of Washington. Michelle Powell is another walk on. Washington has, uh, had other, uh, O'Day kids come in, a long snapper. I can't remember what his, his name was, but, he came in and played for Washington. Washington's had a lot of success bringing in some O'Day. Race Porter? Uh, was Race a, I thought, for some reason I had him, that's right, uh, Gunner, or Kyle Rasp was, uh, was a Nathan Hale kid, so, uh, Race, race Porter and Miles, was a, Race yeah. and Miles are running buddies. At, uh, yeah, O'Day. so, 
So yeah, those those guys are. I mean, Washington's done really well with O'Day kids, and they've had a lot of success at the University of Washington. Michelle Powell's a guy. Didn't he win the best hands in the room? He did, according to people. Yeah. So uh, big, big corner, beef, big defensive back as well. So yeah, Washington's done really well. It's really nice to have both of those guys in. And the other um, walk on, at least that I'm aware of, the only three that have made a commitment to the University of Washington are Hopkins. Tuu, uh, Siva Tuu, and then, uh, Jarrett North, a kicker out of Calabasas, California, uh, who they're bringing in, uh, to be a kicker as well. So, um, three, three really good walk-ons, popular guys, guys who could have gone to, um, four-year schools. I don't know if they could have gone to, like, Hopkins had a San Jose State offer, and he did have, did have offers from, uh, Nevada and Fresno State, but Fresno State had to pull it because of money. And Nevada's, uh, said they wanted him to hold off and wait until, till they saw what their class looked like before they gave him an official offer. So, uh, Eastern Washington was the school that he really chose Washington over at this point. He didn't have any interest in San Jose State, but, um, yeah, it, big pickup, um, in Hopkins. And I think a guy who, uh, is kind of a Pied Piper. He's the one who was leading those COVID sevens. Uh, he and Junior Alexander and, um, It'll be interesting to see uh, what happens with the high school football season because if they play this year, I think O'Day is going to be a strong team. But if they don't, then uh, Hopkins told me, he says, even if they don't, uh, he will not be enrolling early at the University of Washington. But um, I know there's some other guys who might be enrolling early if there is no co- high school football season. Scott, you just kind of glossed over it real quick, but the COVID-7 uh, tournaments that they were running up at Tai, those were big deals. I mean, there was – yeah. 20 teams, 20 yeah. plus teams up there. And Hopkins was the one who's putting all that together. And, you know, when I went up there a couple of times, when you talk about Pied Piper, he was the Pied Piper. Yeah. He was leading everything. Well, the funny thing is everybody knows who Rylan Spencer is. If you don't, uh, just go over to Cascadia Preps and he's running that deal over there. Uh, but Rylan and I are standing there and talking and we knew that, um, Milton was the one who was kind of leading things. Well, one of the grounds crews up at Tai High School, comes up to us and he says, uh, do you know who's running this? <laughs> and Rylan and I go, no, no idea. <laughs> right. And he goes, well, we're just trying to find out what time this is going to be done because we have to set up for another event. And we go, oh, it's that guy right over there. <laughs> we, yeah, no, he's a did, real impressive yeah, kid, you know, just, not just and that. really well-spoken, yeah. mature for his age. Um, yeah, really, really good kid. And when I hit him up about, uh, getting some quotes from him before he, you know, he and I've known each other a little bit and, he gave me some quotes and just said he's just really excited and his parents are unbelievably excited as well. You know, Chris, when we started this, uh, Monty Kohler had been at O'Day forever and, uh, that was 23 years ago. He'd been there forever and he's still there. How many, how many players from O'Day has Monty sent over just down the, down the street to UW? Uh, lots as he should. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, this is, this is the whole idea. I mean, the local school needs to be feeding the local school. I mean, it's, you know, we, we can have, and we have had this discussion for many, 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 many moons. And of course, now people are putting a very fine point on it because of the local players that Washington is apparently missing on, uh, the top guys. But, you know, you, you still need to have those feeder schools that, uh, make an impact on a, on a yearly basis. And there is no doubt that uh, right at the top of the list, you've got O'Day. I mean, you've got Bellevue, uh, Lakes has put in a ton of guys. Um, you know, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna see a lot of schools up and down the I-5 corridor 
in a greater Seattle area, but uh, there is no better school in terms of putting put players into UW than O'Day. I mean, they are yeah. right there. And 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 again, when you want to talk about the scholarship guys and talk about the walk-on guys, it's um it's very very impressive. We're going to take a quick break from our sponsors and Scott. When we return, some uh, stuff brewing on recruiting. So uh, we'll talk about that and more when we return. It's the guys from Dogman.com on Dogman Radio. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back. It's the guys from dogman.com. I'm Kim Reynolds with Chris Fetters, Scott Eklund, Washington season over and uh, won't be able to play in a bowl game. Will not, game will not be able to get healthy. Luke Wattenberg, the starting center, returning for a six year. Some big time walk-ons uh, coming in and some recruiting stuff brewing. And just a reminder, if you're looking for those daily updates as well as breaking news alerts, if you want to be notified when something's going on, shoot us a note, huskystadium at gmail.com. Just write in subject line newsletter. We will get you hooked up. There always seems to be something going on. And, uh, Scott, um, some stuff kind of percolating in recruiting. What's going on? Yeah, um, well, we expect at least one, if not two, very likely two uh, commits here over the next 24 to 48 hours. Not going to spoil it. Everybody's been kind of guessing who it could be. There's been some pretty good guesses out there. So, um, but we'll, I'm not going to steal the thunder from these kids, but uh, pretty sure that over the next 24 to 48 hours, uh, Husky fans will have some good news coming down the pike on 2022 guys who are going to be making their decisions here pretty soon. What's going on in recruiting? Just, uh, what, I, it's weird. Nobody was able to take official visits. We've still got the, um, how many spots do they have left, Scott, for the second signing day? Um, well, I mean, it, a lot of it depends on attrition right now because I went through the numbers currently right now. If everybody returns that hasn't declared yet. So I've already eliminated Elijah Molden, who said he's leaving and I've already eliminated, um, Jacob Sermon because he's – and I actually hadn't eliminated Jordan Chin at that point in time because he hadn't announced. So, um, you know, Washington is is currently at uh, – including the 15 guys who will come in, they are currently at 95 players on the roster for 2021. Now, that's going to obviously change. There are going to be guys who opt out and all that kind of stuff. Well, the seniors not, don't count – well, that, and that's what I was getting to is Washington had 11 seniors. So as long as those guys all wanted to return, they could have up to 96 guys on their roster, uh, start at the start of the 2021 season. Obviously that's going to change a little bit. Jordan Chin is one of those guys who could have returned. He's going to leave. Um, Elijah Molden's going to, re- is not going to return. He's left. So, so right now you can have, uh, 84 players, or I'm sorry, 94 players <clears throat> on the 2021 roster. That's going to hey, decrease. Scott, I think you can, you can add Keith Taylor to that list as well. Has he already said, or he's, well, he's already accepted the Senior Bowl invite. Okay, so. my mistake then. I, so that's my mistake. So I can take him off there too. So right now, Washington can have 83 or 93 players on their roster at the start of the 2021 football season. That's going to change even more. 
you could see um, some of the other uh, seniors declare um, that they're just going to be done with with school. Kamari Pleasant, Sean McGrew, those are two guys that are probably going to have to make a decision here pretty soon. There's some other guys as well. Um, but that's kind of what you're looking at. Luke Wattenberg has decided to return, so that's going to give you a spot. But So basically the way it looks is Washington can, can have up to – 83 guys on the roster. Or, gosh, I keep saying 83. 93 guys on the roster. Right now, that's what they have. So right now, it's hard to say how many they're going to be able to have left. And and in this in this class, if JT to him allow, if some weird thing happened and he opted to sign with Washington, right now it is not looking like that's going to be the case. But if he opted to sign with Washington, they'd take him and figure it out. There are a couple other guys who they could look at. I, I posted a story on Thursday, the after signing day, letting you guys know there are some other guys they can still look at. Um, one of them's Wyndon Ho'ohuli, the linebacker out of Mililani, <coughs> who, uh, I don't have COVID, just coughing. Um, who they were in really good shape with, uh, and decided to pull back on because they got Will Latu to commit to them. Um, they also have, uh, they also, you know, obviously JT Tuum allow. They have uh, a couple other guys, an offensive lineman out of Helix that they're looking at that they, that they offered really early. And then they've got a safety out of, uh, of, out of, uh, Hawaii who was, who had like eight or 10 interceptions last season as a junior. So, um, talented kids that they can still come back and circle back on guys that they offered and were in on, pulled back on because of different reasons. And uh, maybe they could circle back on those guys, but right now I don't. I'm not sure, other than JT Tuum allowed, that they would even take anybody else, at least at this point. Chris, wrapping it up. Final thoughts. Yeah, just um, you know, it's it's it is funny how things you know all of a sudden ramp up for 2022 when 2021 isn't even really done yet. I think it will be interesting to see how the numbers unfold and and whether or not they. You know whether they they hold off or they do they take a flyer on maybe a a, a a a guy that they've been monitoring a high school kid or do they save that spot or two for maybe some guys in this portal because the portal's got a thousand guys in it right now. Again, we saw Jordan Chin, Jacob Sermon go in it. That that probably won't be the last of those guys. There'll probably be others. Um, but are there other guys who could possibly come back? Obviously, we saw that a couple of years ago with Jacob Eason. Um, could there be an impact guy or two? Obviously, Jaden Woodby was a guy that Washington was looking at before he decided to uh, go from Florida State to Boston College. I think there might be one or two surprises. We'll see what happens with that. No, I don't have any names. I, I wish I could give you some names. I don't have any. But I just, given the, the history of the, of the portal and how it works, I don't think Washington is going to be in a situation where they can rely on it because of the transfer requirements and the school and, and having to, to get into school at UW. Um, but I think there is some guys that they could probably target and, and really utilize um, to, to improve their team. Yeah. In terms of 2022 already, I think it's going to be fascinating to see it because right now there is still a dead period all the way until mid-April. And there are so many guys like we, you know, we heard about, um, uh, Caleb Barry and his mom coming up the week before or the weekend before signing day to make sure that he got a chance to at least see Seattle 
before signing on the dotted line. And I think you might see more of those uh, situations where guys take visits literally just to see what it's all about, even if they can't uh, legally, I guess by NCAA rules, can't legally talk to the coaches and do the on-campus visits and do the all, all the other things that you would normally associate with an uh, even an unofficial visit. So I, th- I think it's going to be really, really interesting to see what goes on, especially now that we're in the process, vaccines are being distributed. There's, you know, there's a whole lot of hope on the horizon that things are going to get done. And then like Scott also mentioned with Washington trying to do their high school season in the spring, will that happen? And if it doesn't happen, does that mean a guy like Sam Heward comes in early? Does that competition with Sam Heward and Dylan Morris and Ethan Garbers does, and, and we don't even know if Kevin Thompson's coming in or out. We don't know what his situation is, but does that all of a sudden kick back into really high gear? And that, does that become the, the real talking point of spring moving into summer? So there's so many things to still think about in terms of Washington football, even though things definitely ended on a very sour note and a very right. disappointing note. Final thoughts, Scott Eklund? Well, um, <clears throat> you know, just to pile on here, I, not the way I wanted Washington to end the season. <clears throat> I was hoping to still cover another game or two, but it is what it is. And, uh, we're just going to enjoy this off season because <clears throat> what's what's really in it, what's really going to be really interesting is to see what happens with the Pac-12, like you've kind of intimated at Kim with uh, Larry Scott's situation and everything like that. What's going to happen with the Pac-12? What's going to happen? Are the the Pac-12 schools going to be able to put themselves on a national level with schools in the SEC, Big Ten, Big Twelve, ACC? You know, the ACC is a ridiculous conference. Other than other than Notre Dame, who isn't even really part of the conference, but they're they they play a ACC schedule. And then, but <clears throat> other than Notre Dame and, and Clemson, there's really nothing, you know, in that conference. North Carolina looked okay this year. You know, they were, they were explosive offensively, but, you know, and Miami was okay, but nothing special, you know, and so is Washington going to be able to at least put themselves up in third spot instead of right now, I would say Washington's the fifth spot in the power five. And some people have made a joke that they're the sixth, sixth conference in the power five. So, you know, it's, that's going to be a really intriguing thing for me to see what happens with Larry Scott, with the finances, with all those different things, because these schools are taking huge hits. Also in the offseason, what's it going to be like? The, the 2021, at least those kids, a lot of them got a chance to come up and see the schools that not all of them, but a lot of them got a chance in the, you know, before everything was kind of shut down, they got a chance to go and see schools and meet with coaches in person. 2022 kids, for the most part, have not been able to do that. And what will be real interesting is what's it going to look like? I mean, I could have the busiest April, May, and June of my entire career here at at, uh, dogman.com because you could be talking about kids just like, hey, if the pandemic hits again, I better get in while they do open this thing up. So we're talking April 15th is when they're supposed to reopen things. Obviously, that could change. But if that changes or if that sticks true – then I think you're going to see a ton of kids visiting and, and, uh, we're going to have a lot of stuff to report on kids visiting and seeing Washington and seeing what it's like. So, cause before they were able to come up for games, they weren't able to come up for games this year. So, um, I'm really interested to see what the off season, this is going to be one of the most intriguing off seasons ever, 
because of all the things that yeah. could be changing. Weirdness continues tomorrow. Washington opened their basketball season uh, earlier this week with a loss to Oregon. They traveled to Las Vegas to play a non-conference game against Colorado. So the weirdness just continues. 7 o'clock tip-off tomorrow night. So, again, Colorado, and that's a non-conference game, and the conference has already started, yet they're playing a conference opponent. So I don't know, you know, just – uh I just got to the point where sometimes you just got to roll with it. And that seems to be the only thing that works lately. So anyways, just there's always a lot going on. Just when we think that there's nothing going on, all hell will break loose. I mean, Luke Wattenberg announcing last night he was coming back. Milton Hopkins announcing he's coming, the season ending. And it just never seems to end here at dogman.com. So just keep it tuned in. So um probably try to do another podcast before Christmas, guys, maybe early next week. Does that sound good? Hello. Sounds good to me. Sounds good to me. All right. For all of us at dogman.com, I'm Kim Grinnell, along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. Happy holidays. Go dogs. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrified. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus.